0: This podcast is brought to you by Cashflow Mastery, the only revenue management course in our industry that teaches you step-by-step how to become a master revenue manager in your hosting business. For more info, check out getpaidforyourpad.com slash cashflowmastery. That's getpaidforyourpad.com slash cashflowmastery.
1: Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad.
0: Welcome back to Get Paid for Your Pad. Today, we are talking about hiring. One of the biggest challenges, especially for our hosts who are trying to skill and trying to get some of the work off their plate. And uh, who better to talk to than Steve Trover, the founder of Better Talent. Steve has been in the, uh, in the short-term rental industry for 27 years. So uh, we're going to pick his brain on uh, hiring and, uh, and teams today. So it's Steve, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, you've been in the industry for twenty-seven years. Um, definitely a veteran. Uh, what would you uh, give us a quick background? Like, what have you been up to in the in those years?
1: Yeah, um, started an STR management company uh, back in nineteen ninety-seven here in Orlando, Florida, where I'm located. Uh, still today, uh, grew that over the course of uh, twenty years uh, and grew that to four hundred properties at peak. Uh, uh, had a real estate company as well, so we would sell. Short term rental real estate, uh, had an interior design company. So we would furnish those properties that we sold. Uh, we then would take them under management. Um, ultimately, I uh, started a development company called Purpose Built Vacation Homes in 2008. Uh, so we would design, spec, and build uh, purpose built vacation homes that then we would furnish, sell to an investor, and then retain under the management. Um, and grew that uh, into four destinations as well. So, we were here in Orlando, about 250 properties in the Orlando area close to Disney, Um, and then Captiva Island. We had a group of properties there in an office, uh, acquired a company in San Diego, and then opened a small location in Sun Valley, Idaho. So, we were in four different destinations. Um, During that time, I uh, developed a proprietary PMS with a developer out of Idaho. We kind of designed it to run the business, um, that ultimately became a company called Livres, Uh, and I was, uh, the chief strategy officer a number of years with that company and an early shareholder, um, that now is owned by private equity, but over a thousand companies, um, use that to run their business. Um, and then I'm the former vice president and president of VRMA over the course of a five-year period going back about 10 years ago. And during my tenure there, took, uh, the VRMA into Europe, uh, had a PR campaign, a television series, we did a number of different things to kind of drive the the business forward, if you will. So I've been involved in uh, really a lot of the different aspects of the STR industry. Uh, And then uh, about seven years ago, sold my group of companies, uh, started consulting in the space with everybody from a small startup to Goldman Sachs and and trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, And I realized that the biggest challenge in all of those things was people, right? And if I had the right people in the right seats inside those organizations, um, they were fun businesses to own, they were profitable, and it was a good thing. If I did not, um, which often happened, um, it was really a challenge. And so we set out to to really focus on that um, as a consulting company, uh, again, going back about seven years ago, and then a little over three and a half years ago, launched Better Talent, Um, today, Better Talent works with almost 250 STR companies across the U.S. A little bit of international to help with solve this problem from a hiring perspective, not just full time but part time, independent contractors, even consultants. So, mm-hmm. um, trying to help companies scale um, from a people perspective and really understand when and where and who to hire to help facilitate growth. So, that's that's us today.
0: Yeah and you know I get your uh, newsletter that you send out with the with the open positions in the short term rental space not that I'm looking for a job yeah, right. uh, but just uh yeah but just seeing seeing like what kind of uh positions are out there and mm-hmm. the descriptions of the roles like really helps to understand like what what type of positions should we have in our uh, short-term rental company as we actually scale it, right? So I would highly recommend, even if you're not looking for a job, um, subscribe to Steve's newsletter because it's uh, it's very insightful to just uh, just see those open positions. Um, so we we touched on you touched on a lot. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of stuff <laughs> I would love to dive into here, um, but we'll uh, we'll we'll keep it focused more on, on the uh, on the hiring side. But before we dive into that, quickly. Um, because you were part of the VRMA and we we just met at the VRMA uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, well, where where were some of your top takeaways from the event in Orlando this year?
1: Yeah, well, it was really excited to see um, just how many people over twenty five hundred, almost twenty six hundred people uh, that showed up. Um, it was it seemed like one of the stronger ones from an education perspective. People were really um, feeling good about the education that was provided. Um, Some of the new suppliers and vendors, uh, it's just amazing to see the growth in in that aspect of it. Um, People are, I would say, cautiously optimistic going into 24. Um, I I felt like some of the the negativity that's been in the market a little bit in 23 was starting to shift back towards a positive uh, nature. Um, and kind of positive viewpoint of, of going forward, so that was good to see as well. But overall, it was a really great show. Uh, we had a really good time and um, loved to see old friends. But what I probably loved the most is that there was almost a thousand first-time attendees um, to the to the show, which is really, really good to see. I mean, when I was president, we had about a thousand uh, show up. So the fact that there's a thousand new people showing up at a VRMA conference was pretty fantastic to see. So.
0: Yeah. Something I noticed too from last time I went was in 2019 and I felt like this year, a lot of hosts that I talked to, they were pretty new, right? They were maybe right. like in operation for one, two years and like 2019 when I went, most people have been in business for a long time. Yeah. And so that's a, yeah, that's definitely, definitely an interesting change.
1: Yeah. And a welcome one, quite frankly. I mean, uh, I love to see all of my old friends that have been around as long as I have, but uh, it's, it's good to see new blood, new people, new ideas coming in. And uh, so that was exciting to see as well. So
0: Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about hiring. Um, you know, what, what, what I see in our masterminds and our, our um, coaching programs is hiring is always one of the biggest challenges. And I'd love to, love to pick your brain on like, what's the best approach uh, to finding the right person like you said the right person in the right seat um mm-hmm. <clears throat> I know that uh hiring the wrong, wrong person is like one of the most expensive mistakes that you can make um so there's a lot to there 's a lot to get into here uh mm-hmm. but why don 't we why do we start with you know at at what point in our business does it make sense to hire to start hiring people
1: yeah um, uh and- older business mentor of mine years and years ago said to me, um, as I was considering uh, hiring an executive assistant, I was was at a point where, you know, it was just a lot of kind of clerical and different things that I needed to get done on a day-to-day basis. And I was like, I don't know if I can afford that person. And he said to me uh, something that I've used throughout my business career, you won't be able to afford that person until you have them. And so the question of you know, when and who uh, really comes down to, can you afford them? Or if you have somebody doing some things that you're really not designed to do, you don't really like doing, you have to do them to run the day to day. But if you could outsource those components and really focus on things like growth of inventory, growth of rental revenue, things that really drive the business forward, you can more than offset the cost of that. So it really, it does come down to cost, obviously, if you don't have the resources you can't hire. Um, But sometimes you got to look at it objectively, take that leap and go, okay, if I replace these things with somebody else doing them, who's better designed for them, frankly, than typical, uh, an entrepreneur that starts a business, um, there's just always something um, then I can build a bigger business, and that will more than facilitate, more than offset the cost of that individual. So that's that's one thing, and that's really looking at the cost. The what really comes down to figuring out those things that you just don't like to do, quite frankly, or you're not good at. Um, you know, I uh, early on was not real strong on operations. I didn't really enjoy creating housekeeping schedules and and, and those types of things, and. And so uh, outsourcing or finding people to help with the operational components of the business so that I could focus on really driving revenue, driving uh, rental revenue, as well as getting new properties was key for me. And so what I encourage people to do right at the beginning, if you have no people, you're not even using a VA, um, for example, uh, build an org chart. So take a piece of paper out, put it on Word, whatever, um, and draw out everything you do in boxes. Meaning... Uh, accounting, uh, so guest services, guest communications, marketing, business development, housekeeping, maintenance, all of the different components, owner relations, you're wearing all those hats as a one-person show, right? And at some point, you need to start taking those hats off. And when you have that out um, and kind of organized as such, you can look at those boxes and say, you know what? I should outsource finance, for example. I am not a bookkeeper. I should not be doing those things and I've had to do it, uh, but I can outsource that for a relatively low cost and that'll free up time for something else. And, and maybe you, you know, prefer uh, operations and finance and you need somebody to go hire somebody for growth, right? So it could be the inverse of that. Um, so understanding, you know, what your best and highest use as a, per- as a person is um, where you are able to be the most productive for the business and then outsource other components to free up time to be able to do that better than you are today. So mm-hmm. I know that's a long answer, but I think it's a it's a really important thing to get right. Uh, I say when I had 100 employees in my management company, if I made one bad hiring mistake, it was 1% of my company. Uh, when I was early stage, and there was two or three of us. If I made one bad hire, it was 50% or one-third of the company that was the wrong person in the wrong seat. And so these first hires are critical, uh, just mm-hmm. really, really important to get right. Uh, and so that that's what I would absolutely advise.
0: Yeah, I love uh, I love that suggestion of creating the, the org chart. Uh, that's something... It's something that we've worked uh we've worked together on actually in our in our uh was i think it was our mastermind or our legends x mm-hmm. course where you, you did a guest lecture on that right I sure um, did. and we yeah. had everybody create like the org charts and it's funny because a lot of people are like well what's the point like my name is going to be on all the you know <laughs> <That> <laughs> on all the boxes right. so like <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. so yeah, like- it, it just allows you to look at it and go, uh, and you, you already know it in your head. But when you, you know, when you draw it out like that, you can really look at it objectively and say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not that. I should not be doing those right. things." Um, yeah. And, uh, so, and that's true. Yeah, because it's,
0: it's not just it's not just the the amount of time that it takes to do the work that you don't want to do, but it also kind of drags your energy down, right? It kind of kills part of the enthusiasm for. Uh, for your business if you constantly have to do these things that you kind of don't
1: enjoy doing. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's it's no different from an owner of a property taking their property to a co-host or a manager for the same reason, right? They no longer enjoy owning the property because they're doing all the things. And so, you know, if you're going to own a business and I've started 15 companies, um, I've had businesses that own me and then I have businesses that I own. The businesses that I own are usually are because I'm doing the things that I'm best designed to do in that business. So I enjoy owning that business and you need to get there as quickly as you possibly can. It takes time to develop that out and build out the team to be able to do it. But otherwise, what's the point? You should just go get a job, you know? And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you definitely want to have a, a situation where you really like the parts of the business that you are working on. So
0: you know, when I when I talk to a lot of our students, they, they tell me, okay, well, I, I know I have to hire somebody, but I can't afford it yet. And it almost seems like a chicken in the egg or a catch-22 where it's like, okay, I need to hire somebody so I can free up time and I can focus on business acquisition and growing the business. But, you know, in order to do that, I need to have the funds to hire that person, right? Are there any like... Creative solutions to this, like maybe looking for an intern, or maybe mm-hmm. even going to a company like Nectar and raising some funds to hire somebody. Mm-hmm. Are those strategies that you would recommend?
1: Yeah, um, one thing I'll start with that I don't recommend, and that is dipping into owner funds. Um, and if you're not doing trust accounting today, I highly recommend that. Um, it's it's uh, you know a lot of times people go and and make a hire. Using funds and they have all of the money coming into the operating account and you can get to a very challenging space. So that would be don't a don't do. Um, as far as raising capital, um, certainly that's a way to do it. You know, for friends and family round type of thing. Um, you know, some type of business, a company that will you can help you raise capital is great, but you're borrowing against your future when you do so. So um, just got to be fairly confident. That's a risk. Um, It's also a risk to go ahead and just hire somebody when you're not sure if you're going to be able to cover payroll, right? So, uh, whether that's a contractor or full time employee, doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, you got to pay them. And so, um, it's really kind of going out on a limb to some degree, but projecting what you're going to be able to do if you're freed up, like I mentioned before, um, to be able to do that. And, you know, if I were doing it today, if I was starting from scratch, I would, I would really focus on the highest volume producing properties I can per unit on a per unit basis because it takes a lot more effort to manage lower producing properties because it's got to do all the same things. So you do that early on so that you, you do pretty quickly at a lower property count get to a point where you can hire, whether that be, you know, a virtual assistant or boots on the ground locally. Um, whatever it is, those things, once you've developed out that, that org chart and you've made the decision of who that's going to be in the most efficient way possible. And uh in a lot of companies today, I know they use uh, VAs in the Philippines or other parts of the world, they can definitely free up a lot of, of things. Um we we help uh with any type of, of talent um in that regard. But I, I really think that when I see a founder Going out and running errands in a vehicle to go out to the properties that generally does not make a lot of sense. It's a it's it's a lot of it's a pretty low cost um, outsource to be able to do that relative to the time that that person is spending, where they could focus on growth, uh, inventory, rental growth, and so on. So I would say operationally, that's where I would focus the most, or guest comms second to that. Because um, those two things take up a lot of time for our founder, that they can free up to go after you know new properties and build it. So, I know that was again a long <laughs> answer, but that's that's kind of how I view the world. So,
0: sure, yeah. <clears throat> okay. So uh, let's take a step further. So now we've decided, we've built the org chart, um, and we've decided. Okay, you know these are the things that I want to outsource first. Now the question is, who do we hire? Um, the biggest mistake that myself and Eric have made is uh, we're just going to look around and see who's available uh, and then we convince ourselves that this person might be able to do a pretty good <clears throat> job. Uh, mm-hmm. just, just kind of because it's easy and we want a fast solution, right? We don't yep. want to wait for months, um, which, you know, from my experience is not a good way of doing it. What, <laughs> what's the best way to approach a
1: new hire? Yeah, we call what you described uh, the fog-a-mir d- methodology. <laughs> if you can fog a mirror, you're hired. Um, um, and we see a lot of people do that. You know, I, I was guilty early on. I've used a lot of relatives. I I did not um, do what I do today. In that regard, I learned over time um, that you really need to focus on this piece more than anything else and make sure you do a good job hiring the right people for each seat. And one of the things that I, I uh, found... Quite a few years ago now, about 15 years ago, was psychometric testing and understanding somebody's personality and how that might or might not align with a particular role. And personality testing has been proven to be a really good way to help you understand that. Um, So many times we'll go into an interview, um, you know, and we might really like the person. Uh, A lot of times, the reason why we like that person is they're a lot like us. But if you think about it, we're trying to hire somebody to do things that we don't like to do. We probably don't want somebody just like us, right? And so uh, I see that all the time in, in early stage companies as the founder goes and hires essentially somebody that's a lot like them, and it doesn't really solve the problem well. And that person ends up ends up turning at some point, either quitting or getting fired, and, and neither option is good, right? And so part of our, our process is really leaning in on, is this person designed for the job? Um, before we do that though, and whether you were using a company like ours or doing it yourself, uh, I, don't, I don't recommend just kind of looking around and see who's available. You want to fill the funnel of potential applicants uh, for any role, whether that's a full-time role or a contracted role, as full as you possibly can, right? so. Um, if you think about marketing, you know a lot of us uh, today will lean on Airbnb. But if you want to build a robust business, you want to have multiple channels. Well, the same thing goes for talent. Um, when we're you don't want to just throw an ad on Indeed. Indeed's kind of the 800-pound gorilla, the Airbnb of people, if you will. But you only get um, ap- applicants that are actively looking. You're not getting passive applicants, and so. You wanna use multiple channels. Um, You wanna outbound and reach out to people, maybe on LinkedIn, depending on the type of role it is. Um, And that's the methodology we use. And we really do it in an extreme nature to drive as many people to that potential job as possible so that we can look at a lot of different people. Um, And I know that sounds like a lot of work, but it's a lot more work when you get somebody that's the wrong person. Um, So Mm. spending the time to get the right person up front. Uh, making sure they've got the right skill set, they've got the right behavioral drives, meaning personality, um, their intellect is, is as such that they can do the job and do it well. Um, so that's really, really important. Um, interviewing is important. Uh, when I first started interviewing people, when I hired my first employee when I was 17 years old, um, and I've been hiring people for 33 years, so I've done a, done a few hires, um, but I I would just kind of ask them my favorite questions. Like I would just... Kind of have a conversation with them, and conversational interviewing definitely has its place. But you certainly want to have a structured interview process as well, where you're asking the same questions of each applicant, so you can rate them objectively. Because what happens is you naturally, when you're talking to people, you end up using your gut instinct around them. And I'm not saying gut instinct is bad, but a lot of times we find out when we use gut instinct on who we're going to hire, our gut instinct was off. Right, so I don't care. I, you know, I, feel like I have strong gut instincts around people. I still would use a lot of objective tools, objective interviewing process, because my my instincts can be off. Right, and so, um, so that those are kind of some of the things that I would highly recommend that people do as they go through that process. So.
0: Yeah, I find that if I if I use my gut feeling, I, I just end up hiring the person that I like. That's exactly right. right. Versus like person that might would be the best fit for the role. Um, So we talked about the funnel. So we don't want to just you know just go on Indeed and and put an ad on. Like you want to leverage your personal network. You want to spread out, uh, spread, cast the net as wide as as wide as possible to get as many people interested for the for the position. Um, Because the more people that you have in the funnel, I guess the better the chance that you you're going to find. The right person. Now one, one mistake that we've made in the past is uh is even what we would do is like we we narrow down to a few candidates and then we kinda knew that none of them were a really good fit, but we also already spent so much time that we're like, oh well, we don't want to like, you know, go through this process again. So let's just hire the person that we think is the best. You know what I mean? Is that yeah. is that a good
1: strategy? not at all um you know and, and you, you ultimately have to make a hire right and and so you know that's the intent there and and you you get into this process and and it gets long and, and and can be uh depending on how much applicant flow you have that type of thing but if you get to the end meaning you're at two or three applicants that you've taken all the way down to the end of the funnel and you know that none of them are, are a strong candidate start over uh, you know that's all i can say um the worst mistake that I have made in 33 years of running 15 different companies is hiring the wrong person. And I've made a lot of mistakes, let me tell you. But that one, um, the best thing I've ever done in business and all of those things was hiring the right one. If I get the right person in the right seat, the vision that I have for that particular business can be executed on. And um, I, I can really scale a business when I have a, the right team. When I don't, it never works. And so um, not to knock your methodology, I did it too. We all naturally kind of go down that path, Um, but you're going to learn the hard way if you do it. Make sure, you know, there's no perfect humans. None of us are either, right? So it's not like you're going to get this, um, you know, this ideal person for the role necessarily, but you want to make sure that they're the best possible fit that you can find. So right. when you get down, uh, but if you get there and you're just like, yeah, none of these are going to work out well, and you're already saying that to yourself, you're right. Probably yeah. not going to work.
0: It's going to so. be, be a hell yes, right? A hell yes or a no?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And this is, yeah. Uh, I, I, and the reason why I do what I do is I think it's the most important part of business. I call it the hardest thing. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's talk about the different stages uh, of a short-term, typical short-term rental company or right? a typical short-term rental operator, somebody, somebody who typically randomly gets involved with, with short-term rentals, right? A friend or a house or whatever it is, start off small, get a couple more units. Um, you see the opportunity. Now you're at like five to 10, you're still doing all the work yourself and you're getting a little overwhelmed. Like what's the, what's typically the first person that you would hire at that stage? Yeah. Uh,
1: I, I think it's one of two, what really one of three. Um, You know, finance, a lot of people, especially, you know, early stage entrepreneurs, you know, they don't have a finance background, they didn't even take accounting in college, they don't like math, whatever. If you're like that, you better get that in order quick. You better at least outsource that to a bookkeeping firm, that type of thing. Um, So if that's not your, your, you know, wheelhouse, definitely move that out off your plate, get it done right. Like I said, trust accounting is key. Um, so so that's probably the most important foundational one. The other two for me, I, I think it's really guest comms. Um, sometimes, you know, it's a 24-7 business you get into. If you're a one-of-one, one, um, that becomes a big challenge for you because it's 24-7. And I remember taking guest calls in the middle of the night, uh, myself, early stage, taking reservations calls in the middle of the night. Um, that got old pretty quick um even as a young person with a lot of energy i was like wow this is this thing just never ends and so you need to have some downtime so that you can have a real life so i think uh, guest communications under communications that's another piece um that's one that you know theoretically you can use a va for um and so so that that one can be relatively low cost the other one that i i see most common though is operations and if you're a A profile, meaning a personality that likes to sell, likes to grow, can build, can sell, is good at that. Um, I would highly recommend you get ops off your plate as as soon as possible. When I say ops, I'm really talking about housekeeping, maintenance, kind of that boots on the ground, things at the property, having somebody manage those processes with your contractors, your cleaners, etc., so that you can focus again on that growth and the marketing side of, of the business and that's what i did is, as fast as i could um I, I say i can sell the paint off the walls i should focus there grow the inventory let somebody else handle the operational components of the business and finance um ops by the way you can take guest communications and dovetail that in and so if i were hiring you know somebody today for my company I'd outsource to a bookkeeper, the finance side and I'd find somebody to handle ops pretty quick. Right. And then I would just focus on growth.
0: Yeah. So what we typically see is that definitely the bookkeeper uh, is one of the first ones. And that's, you know, it's also not breaking the bank too much. Right. Right. Um, I mean, we pay like 500 bucks a month for, for a bookkeeper. Then uh, the next one, Is the va actually (laughs) in our business we kind of follow what you just said actually the bookkeeper was the first one then Mm -hmm. uh the virtual assistant to help with the communications um doing all the you know things like leaving reviews and responding to reviews and taking guest feedback and documenting it and you know all that all that kind of stuff um and then i guess uh i guess that's a typical that's a typical process for for most hosts is like starting with those. when it comes to the operational the operational manager, because that's a bit of a bigger hire, right? That's a bit a bit more expensive position. Mm-hmm. Um, would it make sense? Well, I guess two questions. Number one is, does it make sense to hire part- time if you're if you're still small? and then number two is um I forgot number two. Let's start with number one.
1: Yeah. I mean, part-time can work. Um, there's, you know, the, the the challenge today is if you want full-time employment, you can get it. In in U.S. right now, even with a slight uptick in unemployment, we're at close to an all-time low uh, with, mm-hmm. uh, with unemployment, 3.9%. Uh, and, you know, so if you want a job, you can get a job today. And so, If somebody's out looking specifically for a part-time job, that's great. And we do um, uh, hire for part-time from time to time. Often I'll have somebody say, yeah, I'm really looking for somebody that wants a part-time job that they can grow into full-time. That unicorn doesn't really exist much. um, And that's because if they want a full-time job, they can get a full-time job. So you almost have to find somebody that has another part-time job right now that wants to phase out of that and grow into it. And it's kind of a a bit of a needle in the haystack. So you're you're either going to hire a dedicated part-time person that really just wants that, um, or you're going to go have have to pull the trigger on getting a full-time person. uh, And and so making sure that you have the resources to be able to afford, that's key, obviously. So uh, But that's kind of my view. I I, I can't tell you how many times people ask that. They're like, well, I want somebody part-time that will later on go full-time and if If we market for that uh in most cases, people won't want the job, so yeah,
0: yeah, I mean that operational person is is can be a huge game changer right having if you find a good one um oh. but it's a bigger investment mm-hmm. so i I guess like what well, at what stage in the business do you think it makes sense and does it does it make sense to kind of keep? Keep our expenses as lean, keep our company as lean as possible so we can, uh, um, you know, hire that operational manager?
1: Yeah, I, I would stay as lean as you possibly can as long as you possibly can for, for obvious reasons to, as you grow the, the business and, and get the finances to be able to do something like this. When does it make sense? It, you know, A lot of people go, will say, well, how many properties do I need? Um, before I can hire an ops manager. And the reality is, is not all properties are created equal. And we all know that, right? So you can have a property that generates 10,000 in top line rental revenue for a little studio or something. And then you can have, you know, we had a property at my company that generated close to a million dollars, one property, right? On an annual basis. And so um, I'd only need one of those to hire an ops manager. Whereas, you know, the, 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 latter one I mentioned you'd have to have dozens and dozens of them right, and so it, it really comes down to how much gross margin you're producing commission and margin otherwise um to be able to understand what wh- when and where and that could be ten properties that may be thirty it may be fifty depends on you know the type of property uh, properties that you manage and how much revenue that those are producing and even though we're a you know a talent acquisition company and, and we work on a, a, on a kind of a low-cost model we do if clients want us to we'll look at the finances and say okay let's help think through when that could be and you know the last thing i want to do with a client is get that client in financial trouble and i've talked people out of it uh, you know of hiring different roles and saying you know we're not ready for that in, in this mm-hmm. scenario here's what we need to get to before you're ready to make that hire. Um, cause it's a, it really a long term view of, of the company. So.
0: So if, if you're not able to afford a full-time person, does it make sense to give them some sort of vetted, uh, stock options in your business?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I am, um, reticent, reticent to do that at the beginning stages of the company. Um, you know, and a lot of people will want to do that. The, the reality is, is that is not going to be meaningful for that person for a long period of time. If if uh, in, in most cases, they're going to look at that and go, that's great. But, you know, I may or may not ever get anything out of that. I don't know that in this type of business, meaning a service model business, that it's going to mean much. Um, in the tech world, when you're talking about technology companies, that's a common methodology to attract talent. Um, the potential upside there is is significant and people looking for textile jobs know that. Uh, but if you're talking about a service business, the likelihood that that's going to be meaningful for that person anytime soon um, is unlikely. And so I don't think it's going to have the effect and I haven't seen it have the effect that people are looking for and attracting talent in that scenario. You end up just giving away shares to somebody that may not even be there long-term, right? And mm-hmm. so Um, and you need to have vesting in place and there's a cost associated with doing that correctly right setting that up legally the legal structure behind it and and making sure that you have all of the documentation that you need um so i would rather apply those funds towards getting the right person and not making that stock option offer that's really i would recommend looking at later on down the line when the company's more skilled
0: so what about what about, let's say you're solo, like what about finding a co-founder who is good at operations?
1: Yeah, uh, a lot of people go down the partnership route. Um, I certainly did. I've had partners in, in a number of different businesses. Um, my recommendation there is that you as the founder stay the majority shareholder. Um, if you bring on a partner under an equal scenario, I rarely, if ever, see that work out very well. Um, and that's because if there's ever a disagreement, there's you know even if you have a partnership agreement and there's a, a kind of a, a remedy for that challenge, it still creates a personal challenge between the two of you. And so bringing on a partner as a minority shareholder um, is is kind of like what you described before as far as offering stock, um, but you better make sure that you got the right person for that even more than an employee. Because if I hire the wrong employee and they quit or get fired, that's one thing. If I bring on the wrong partner, that's a really, really painful thing. And I have that t-shirt, meaning I've done it. Okay. So you don't, you don't, you don't want to do that if you can avoid it. Um, so you yep. really have to feel confident and comfortable that this person is not the same as you. Um, they bring a lot of value and things that they do that you do not want to do and can't do or are not good at. Um, And then you better make sure that you have a really strong partnership agreement and shareholder agreement. And so again, now we're talking about cost associated with developing that out. Um, It's not massive, but you definitely wanna do that with an attorney that knows what they're doing in that regard and, and, and sign that. Whatever you do, don't just go willy nilly into a partnership without documentation. You will most likely regret that. Right
0: let's uh let's talk about revenue management for for a second here so sure. when when eric and i created our org chart uh, it became clear to me that revenue management was really the only thing that i really enjoyed doing all right. uh so you know naturally like that's that's my role within our our business um i have a background in mathematics so like i love numbers i'm a nerd so for me that's perfect if i can just look at numbers all day and graphs i'm i'm happy um but um but yeah, what, there's a lot of we have a lot of students that are not like me, right? They don't like numbers and they they don't like to do revenue management, and so you know the options are it's either you learn it yourself, right? That's option one. Option two mm-hmm. is um, you outsource to a service, and option three is you hire an in-house revenue manager. What's mm-hmm. your what, what's your? Because I. I feel like it's just, everybody knows like oh yeah we need a bookkeeper we need a VA and we need a uh, operations person. I feel like a lot of companies are not so much focused on revenue management which was kind of surprising to me. What what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's an important component. We get asked every day about this. I'm actually doing a session on whether you should bring uh, this in-house or outsource it. And I think the answer comes down to you and your company structure, what you can afford at that time, just like the other conversations we've been having. Um, you know, early stage, if you if you don't have a Jasper, meaning one of the founders isn't like you with that mathematical background and that desire to do that job, and you need to outsource it, um, I, I don't think you want to hire a full-time person in that role for quite a while. Um, and a high property count, high revenue generation. Um, simply because there's really great um, consultants in, in the industry that do that. There's third party companies that do it and you might pay them, you know, five or 10 hours a week to do it much more than you would pay uh, an, an employee to do it, but not as much as a full-time employee by any stretch. And so, and then the other challenges is, is finding a full-time employee, which we do every day all day when you get to a certain scale. Um, but finding one early stage that can can do that really well, or even a part time, um, is challenging. So I would recommend if you don't, if you're not a Jasper and you don't love doing it, you're not good <laughs> at it, um, then I would outsource it to one of the many, uh, you know, consultants in the space or companies that, that do that for you. Um, and definitely, it's an important thing to get right. Um, I, I think that the holy grail of You know, set it and forget it revenue management. I don't even know if it's ever going to exist in this industry. It certainly doesn't today. There's not a technology that you can just hand this to to do. So you have to have somebody pulling the levers, and that person better know what they're they're doing. because it can be be the you know the success or the failure of the company um, in that role. So, but that's my view, and really usually I, I mean i'm not even talking about a full time uh, rev manager until you get to like a hundred properties under management quite frankly right. so yeah
0: right so below below a hundred it makes most sense to either either outsource it or if you if, if it's something if this, if it's a hat that you do want to wear uh, then you you can take it on um which uh, which we, we recently started a, a course actually on on revenue management cash flow, right. cash flow mastery you call it, because I, when I was starting when I, when I put on the head as a revenue manager for our company, I was like, okay, I gotta ed- educate myself. So I went out there and like searched for revenue management courses and I couldn't really find much. Um, do, what, what are some ways that people can educate themselves on on the topic of revenue management?
1: Well, I, I don't know if this is going to be published in time uh, for for this, but there's a data and revenue management um, uh, trade show coming up here in just a few weeks in Nashville. That's one way. Uh, there are a, a lot of um, individuals uh, out there that you can reach out to that are in the industry. If you want to reach out to me, I can turn you on to different people that you know love to talk about it. There's actually a new group uh, forming. Of professional revenue managers as well, um, so that's uh, one that's very new. Um, so you're starting to see that evolve within the industry, and then obviously it's just networking on places like LinkedIn and, and social channels mm-hmm. to go and identify those individuals um, to figure out you know who I would want to work with, who who I could learn from that type of thing. Um, the, you know, in the hotel industry, they have HSMAI, and they, there's it's a, there's a whole big structure mm-hmm. around it. The challenge there is is hotels have a very different viewpoint or different methodology than what you use with STRs because STRs really, there's not room type, it's just room type of one, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot more variables in, in um, revenue management and STRs. So there's just not a, a ton of resources out there other than Darm, other than this group I mentioned, and obviously what you guys are doing, which is great, yep. Roger, you're doing that. So very much needed. Yeah. So.
0: So. Yeah, because I, I I actually like I studied operations research, this is uh, uh, optimizing economical problems, and like I remember at university we were working on airline pricing because that was mm-hmm. that was in the '90s when I went to university right. was a long time ago. That was like a hot topic back then, right? Pricing because like the internet was now around, so like you can actually like go online, you can compare. Ticket prices and everything. So I remember working on working on like case studies for for airlines and stuff. And I, when I was searching for courses, I, I saw a lot of courses on hotel uh, revenue management. Yeah. There's a lot out there. There's Cornell and Harvard, and there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, there's not there's not that much in for short term rentals. and such a different such a different problem, right? As you mentioned, like because inventory is one versus like you know a hundred seats or a hundred hotel rooms, and and so. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. The, I'm going to the conference, actually, that you mentioned, oh, Darm, right? Yeah, in uh, in Nashville, yeah. uh, December. I think it's December 5 to 7, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yeah. So, yeah, if anybody who's interested in, in revenue management, definitely recommend the Darm Data and Revenue Management Conference. So, uh, Nashville, it's a, good, a fun place to hang out as well.
1: Absolutely. Good
0: time. Um, Cool. Well, we've... Uh, We've kind of we've been talking for about 40 minutes or so. I think we covered most of uh the questions that I had. Is there anything that you think is really important that people should know that we haven't covered yet?
1: You know, there's an old saying most people have probably heard, uh, "hire slow, fire fast." Um again, the biggest mistake that I made was the, doing the opposite of that. So I would use the fog of mirror methodology, like we mentioned earlier. Somebody's available, hey, here's the job. And then the worst thing I would do that was even worse than that was when I recognized they were in the wrong role, um, for whatever reason, I didn't want to fire them and or move them into a a position they can be successful in. In many cases, it's not that this person's a bad person. They're the wrong personality traits, they don't have the right cognitive abilities, or background experience or whatever, Um, and maybe they're just in the wrong seat. Uh, Sometimes you don't have a seat, meaning there's no place to move them. You need to make the call when you have that situation to to move them out of the company. It's not good for them to be there either. Uh, It's much better to let them move on to something they can be successful on. Um so having said that, uh, I really want to encourage everybody to do that higher slow. Take your time. Just put time into this. It is the single most important part of business. It's the hardest part, but if you spend the time to do it right, you will be much more successful in what you do. And I'd love to talk to anybody that's interested about it, you know, how we can help in that wor- world, but even if you don't, um, please focus on it. It's, it. It'll make all the difference to your business long term. To really make sure you do this well.
0: Yeah did you did you read that book? Who many
1: chances? Sure did. Yeah, it's a great book. You, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. It's funny. Like when it comes to hiring, I feel like everyone's learning the hard mistakes for some reason, like everybody who starts out makes those mistakes of just the, you know, the fucking mirror, (laughs) as you you call it. Um, you know, so it's just, it's just one of the, I feel like it's just one of those lessons. Like, it's almost like you have to experience to really understand like how detrimental is to how much time and resources are wasted. And again, like what, what you mentioned is like, there's no, we, we hired like the wrong people in the past. It's not like we have hard feelings or we're like, oh, this is a bad person, like you said, right? It's just like, right. no, it's just it was our, our fault of not, first of all, not coming up with a clear role and responsibilities, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly outlining like, <clears throat> what is this person going to do um, versus just like, oh, there's a task that I don't like doing. All right, let's hire my nephew to do it. Right. You know, he'll do a great mm-hmm. job. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really taking the time to build out like what we call, we have like job scorecards now where we, where we really spend time, which is, it's not easy when you do first do that, you know, it's not easy. Like you, you put this, you yeah. have to stop this, this blank piece of paper in front of you and you're like, okay, well, what are the responsibilities? What are the skill sets? Like what kind of personality are we looking for? And it's like, it's not easy come up with those answers which is probably why people most people don't do it i
1: guess that's exactly you know and i i actually am you see asked about who the book who um i'm writing a book called the hardest thing and it it it, you know really talks about that as being the hardest part of business and so i'm not telling you you know i want to sit on here and tell you this is easy it's not but if you do it badly it's a lot worse than doing the work right to do it right so yeah very cute
0: before I let you go, um, let let people know how, what's the best way to contact you if the, if people want to work with you.
1: Absolutely. So bettertalent.com is the website. Uh, you can book a demo on there if you want to reach out to me uh, via email. You can also do that. Steve at bettertalent.com. Really simple. And then I'd love to connect you on LinkedIn if we're not already connected. Um, I'm very active on that particular network. So um, any of those of those channels would be great. So, But I would... You know, Every every time we get on a, a demo, it's a, a great conversation about that particular person's business, where they're at, how we may or may not help. And I always feel like we bring value whether we end up working together or not. So I'd love to have a conversation with anybody that's open to.
0: Got it. And that uh, that newsletter that I get from you, is that people can sign up on your website for that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so if you go to bettertalent.com, there's a jobs board uh, tab and you just click on the jobs. You'll see all of those there and you can sign up for that that email um, that comes out every Wednesday right there. So all the yeah. jobs and to your point, even if you're not hiring, it's kind of interesting to look at all the different roles that people are hiring for in the industry. So,
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. It kind of gives you like a little peek into the future. Where you're like, hey, eventually like I could hire this person or that person and like if you're still small, you don't have a team members, like it's it's kinda hard to get an idea of like what, what would a company what would my company look like if I had like two hundred units, right? Exactly. And just looking at the positions that you know you send out in your newsletter, I think is very helpful. And it also helps with putting together those job scorecards. I've I've definitely uh, used uh, some of your positions inspiration for creating my own job scorecard, right? So it's very Excellent. valuable, uh, good stuff. Awesome, uh, thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for for jumping on today.
1: Hey, so so glad to have been here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the time. Awesome.
0: Uh, and to the listeners, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one, and uh, we'll be back soon with almost 600. We're almost at 600 episodes. So oh wow, it's great. Boom.
1: pay for your pet, get paid for your pet, get paid for your pet.
0: I have a question for you. Do you have a solid revenue management strategy in place to maximize the revenue for your listings? Is revenue management part of your daily routine? If not, then you're leaving money on the table. The days that we can ignore revenue management in our hosting business and still do well are over, my friends, and they won't come back. So if you either don't use dynamic pricing and manually enter prices on the OTAs, or you have a pricing tool set up but you're not sure how to use it correctly, then the cash flow mastery is for you. In this brand new course, I teach you step by step how to set up your pricing tool, create a winning revenue management strategy, and give you a daily, weekly, and monthly workflow to evaluate your portfolio performance and make strategic price adjustments. I walk you through how we set up our revenue management for FreeWild, from setting up your base price, to minimum night stays, length of stay discounts, adjacent day pricing, orphan night pricing, and much more. On top of that, you'll get access to countless of calculators and tracking sheets that will give you the insights you need to make the right pricing decisions. The course comes with a Facebook group where you can ask questions every day and monthly live Zoom calls to help you stay on track. Do you want to manage your revenue and master your cash flow? Then sign up now at getpaidforyourpad.com slash cashflowmastery. That is getpaidforyourpad.com slash cashflowmastery.